Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name is Chris Hardy and welcome to our podcast recording for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. This week we will be looking at getting funding and grant writing and I am joined today by Simon Mead, David Llewellyn and Adil Razi. So welcome everyone, thank you so much for coming. Um, first guest is Simon Mead who is a Professor of Neurology at UCL where he is the Programme Leader for the MRC Prion Unit. Simon, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your research interests? Yeah, so uh, I'm in my late 40s and um, I have an interest in a rare form of dementia, prion diseases. So I'm a neurologist as well, and I split my time about half between the prion clinic where I see patients and leading a research program at the prion unit where I focus on genetics and development of treatments. Um, so a lot of my funding has come through the core funding to the MRC prion unit, mm-hmm. which is a kind of long-term organization, but I, I've certainly had plenty of failures and okay. minor successes in winning grants along the way. Okay. So Good to hear. We'll, we'll come on to that yeah. I'm sure in a little bit. So our next guest is David Llewellyn, who is a Senior Research Fellow in Clinical Epidemiology at the University of Exeter. So David, welcome to the podcast. Uh, who are Hi. you and what are you researching? <laughs> well, I'm a Senior Research Fellow, as you said, at Exeter. Um, I do a lot of research on the natural history of dementia and What really got me started doing research was trying to understand what was driving dementia, I guess things which might be amenable to intervention, so modifiable risk factors. And we did a lot of work on lifestyle factors like the Mediterranean diet and uh, exercise and so on, things which have now become quite mainstream, Mm -hmm. really, when we think about opportunities for dementia prevention. Mm -hmm. And more recently, I've started thinking about um, how we might be able to harness artificial intelligence and machine learning okay. and sort of advanced analytics and computational approaches uh, to help clinicians and produce things like clinical software, which might be um, usable in the NHS, for instance. Okay, great. Well, welcome. Thank you. And our final guest is Adil Razi. Adil currently works as a senior research associate at the Wellcome Trust Centre for Human Neuroimaging at UCL. Ideal. Can you tell us about yourself and your research interests? Hi, yeah. Um, so, as you said, I'm working at, at um, Welcome Trust Center for Human Neuroimaging. Uh, so, uh, my work, I, I'm electrical engineer turned neuroscientist. Okay. So, uh, my uh, approach is using computational modeling uh, to understand basic disease mechanisms. Uh, so I have been uh, uh, using uh, functional MRI mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in in real, like, rare disease, dementia, like Huntington's, mm-hmm. uh, especially those, like, uh, with the symptomatic uh, stages, very early stages, where we know the people that they have a disease, but they haven't started to show symptoms. Uh, so we are looking at some uh, basic mechanisms like uh, functional compensation. Okay. So that's what I have been uh, looking at uh, for past four or five years now. Great. Well, it's it's lovely to meet you all. 
Um, as always, I'm by far the least most important person here tonight, but I'm, I'm a postdoctoral research associate and teaching fellow working in the Dementia Research Centre at UCL. And as somebody who is currently writing several fellowship applications, I'm eagerly poised to hear your pearls of wisdom this evening. Before we get going, just a reminder that if any listeners out there would like to join in the conversation with the podcast, you can use the hashtag ECRDementia. You can follow us on Twitter at dem underscore researcher. And you can find lots of content on our website, dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk. So, let's get going. The premise for this episode is that as we progress through our scientific careers, we all have to spend more and more time writing funding applications, applying for support for our research and our salaries, and writing successful grant applications is a really important skill, and one that invariably requires insight and support from others. So, Simon, I'm going to come to you first. And What is your general approach to writing a funding application uh, how is it unique compared to other forms of research writing? Well, I think you've got to be really excited about the idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we spend a lot of time doing this. A lot of it is going to be out of your regular hours. Mm. So I think the first thing is you've got to be really grasped by by their, their, an exciting novel idea, something you do really want to work on. I think any grant which is motivated by... How can I put it? Survival. Okay. <laughs> You've been told to do it. Right, okay. You have to bring in the money. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's not going to motivate you on a Sunday afternoon. Well, let's not <laughs> say you have to work on a Sunday afternoon. You don't. But okay. realistically, there's going to be some time, a bit mm-hmm. of extra effort you have to put in to meet that deadline. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing for me that I think about is the excitement. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this job? Why am I spending my life doing it? Mm-hmm. Um I'll say one, I I think the other thing, the next step after that, Mm -hmm. the way I would look about the writing in general, is uh, like a suit of armour. And you imagine all the different plates that have to go on a kind of medieval suit of armour. Forget one of those, and they're going to, on the battlefield, you'll get the knife stuck in and it'll be fatal. (laughs) So it's it's a rather systematic approach, perhaps a bit like the pilots go through when they're on the, uh, uh, you know, on the runway or before they've even started, hopefully, this checklist (laughs) of safety. I think my approach to writing would be that checklist-based approach. You know, for example, start at the one thing I put at the top of my checklist, eligibility. I've actually failed to get a grant simply because I didn't read properly about exactly who was eligible for it, right? Now, that, it may be something I spent a week writing full-time, and yet I just didn't read a very simple bullet list that, no, this wasn't for PhD students. Right. This was only okay. for postdocs. I mean, okay. that's pretty dim. That sounds quite galling, actually. That but sounds, you know, yeah, okay. I, I mention it so no one else makes that. Oh, thank you very mistake. much. <laughs> thank you very much. And so, David, if I if I come on to you, this the same question: What's your general approach to writing for the application, and how is it again different to you know, other forms of writing? I think for me, the difference is, um, I mean, it, it's just a fundamentally different game, trying to work work out what the funders want and the. Um, you'll look at the the website and they'll tell you one story, but um, I recommend if you can get hold of a list of what they've actually put money towards, okay. that will tell you more. Okay. Um, because there's nothing more annoying than pitching to a funder who's not interested in your your field of science or medicine, and um, it's just life's too short. You know, you've you've. There are other funders out there who might be more appropriate, mm. and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't target funders just because you think that you know it would be nicer to get money from them rather than somewhere else because right. you see that a lot. I think, yeah. um, especially in the early days, think about 
what's actually going to allow you to build up your profile and get okay. the job done, get the science done that you're excited about. Mm -hmm. um, and it might be that you start small and or very small. Mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly chased ridiculously small pots of money okay. at some points, but you're building up your CV. I mean, it's like it's like when you're doing a PhD, even if you can get your travel fellowships and things like that, it all helps, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I, w I would say try and work out what the unwritten rules are with okay. the different funders. Okay, that sounds like really good advice. Thank you. And Adil, coming to you, this, this, the same question. Yeah, I think to me, uh, the fundamental difference... Uh, so I have been writing mostly papers where you actually have done the, all the work and you know what... So once you mm -hmm. uh, sit down to write your paper, you know what are the results are, what the data has been already been collected. You know everything about your study and you are now trying to, you know, tell about it. While, while when you are writing a grant, you actually are thinking about what you are going to go, going to do next, and now you have to be, uh, you have to make it something which is which is balanced in terms of, uh, uh, you have to be uh, sort of, uh, it's not it, it, to be a blue sky mm -hmm. sort of thing. What what excites you, but it also has to be something which is uh, because always in the grants you have a feasibility, so it should be feasible as well. Nice. So so, and it's about selling your stuff, which, which you do usually don't do in your in your paper. You are just telling about your work mm -hmm. that you have done. Mm -hmm. You do a bit of uh, you know salesmanship there, but in grants writing, you actually have to sell it. Like you are in the street telling people about what your right. product that you want to you know why it's the best and why it stands out from the rest of the other people. So right. so it's it's most like a, the the tone that you use when mm -hmm. you're writing the grant is fundamentally different from when you're writing, which is more passive when you're writing your, your okay. paper, while it has to be more active, you know, when yeah. you're writing a, a grant application. Okay, thank you very much. Um, so David, I'm going to come to you next. And Simon and Adil both touched on, you know, the component parts of uh, of a, a grant application. And, and Simon talked about this, this suit of armour and you need all of those elements. Mm. What, what do you find the hardest part when it comes to writing an application? Oh, that the hardest part of writing a grant, um, choosing a good acronym. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um, well, it's one of those things, isn't it? That it's often things like the abstract and the first sections, which are really punchy, that are the most difficult to write. So I often leave them to the end because, um, um, okay. I, I guess you know, it, when you've got a lot more space in the main document, you can sort of dance around and go into great detail about specifics but yeah. if you're trying to distill it and communicate it really quickly to someone who's reading it on a train who's stressed and distracted and you're trying to get them excited about it I think that's that's really hard yeah. and the title in particular yeah I think I think I suspect that can, actually carries a lot of weight with the, the, the title with the reviewers yeah okay. you know, and the abstract take yeah. together yeah okay Simon what, what do you think um, about the justification. About which part is the is the hardest? The hardest part. Yeah. Well, I think the hardest part is being is being, or the 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 most important job to do, and therefore the one you really focus on, and is is difficult, is to be succinct. Mm. And you've got to be realistic, particularly about the different stages of grant review process, and that there may be, depending on the process you're following, there may be a a very short triage step mm. where people are re literally skim reading mm. 
looking at, at summaries and, and, and to be, make that exciting, coherent point that is logical, justified, but is um, clear and is, is the hardest bit, I think. Um, but the, the bit I just kind of want to bolt onto that mm-hmm. is that you've got to try and do that without um, making that argument clear to a specialist. You've got to, it's, it's almost as if you're, it's an intelligent lay. You're going for a scientifically literate man on woman okay. on the street, okay. and um, I think getting that right is uh, is tough. Yeah, <laughs> it's yes. really tough, yes. and that uh, it, and requires a lot more iteration than those sections of detail, the pilot data, the budget. All of these other things, mm-hmm. of course, can be done with time, but the hardest bit to kind of craft is that uh, coherent, succinct. Mm. Um, justification of the over. Did, they, did you get the overall reason for funding this piece of okay. work? Okay, okay, thank you. And Adil, do you agree with that? <coughs> yeah, I think uh, because I have been writing those um, like grants for past one and a half years. So, uh, most important thing for me was uh, to actually look at myself as as someone else. You know, so I, I'm trying to look at the mm. big picture where I fit my where I fit in the whole you know uh, thing, and, and and that's I think it's leave yourself behind. Look at yourself as someone who is you know actually writing your own. So you are basically. And, and second thing is like about um, writing about yourself. So basically, that's what you never do. So mm. you have to write in your grant application that why you are excellent. Right. And, and, and that's, that's, you know, that, mm. that's, a, that's a part where I'm, you know, so you're talking yourself up, Adil Wazi is an excellent researcher. <laughs> and it's difficult to write, you know. Right. <laughs> so so right. these kind of things which are basically a transition from writing papers to writing mm. So it's for ECRs. Which I am um, only five years out of my PhD. So this mm. is time when you you know think about you are going into a new territory mm. and a different style, as I was saying before, different style of writing, different mm. style of uh, thinking about things which are, we are usually not uh, you know used to. Yeah, We're just writing. Yeah, you know, we have been trained in a certain way how to write a craft a paper. Yeah, which is start with certain you know headings and all that stuff. And you never talk about yourself, and now you suddenly have to talk about yourself. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a really um, interesting point. Maybe, maybe someone who's starting off might be worried that they're not clearly excellent. And mm. to them, I would say, don't worry, find somebody who is <laughs> and use your enthusiasm and time to, to bunch together. Right. And I, I think, you know, looking at grants that come through the different uh, boards or um, committees that I've sat on, there is a huge determinant of success that comes with prior success. Mm-hmm. People like mm-hmm. to give money to people that are already well-funded. You may say mm-hmm. that's daft, but mm-hmm. it's just a reality mm-hmm. because people trust that someone with a really well-established track record that's publishing really well is going to co- continue to do that. And I think it probably is a good marker of success. Mm-hmm. But as, as starting off, I don't see there's anything wrong. You don't have to be independent writer mm-hmm. at day zero. You know, you know, bolt your, yourself onto someone that's really winning a lot of money, mm. uh, and volunteer your time, work with them, okay. and, and go for it together as a co-applicant. Okay. That's a good way to start off. Okay. Oh, definitely. Yeah, right. the good. That's a good advice. Mm. Start early, as you were saying, like writing a small grants, even mm. that, yeah. that gets you. You know, which I actually didn't do much. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's that's I mean, great. Just to add to that, I think that's excellent advice. But some of the time very successful senior people 
maybe difficult to bolt yourself onto. Yeah, right. That's true. Um, <laughs> so it may be that actually someone who's um, you can have a wider team as well, and there may that may include people who are able to spend a bit more time with you. Yeah. Because you're learning the ropes, aren't you? If you're yeah. if you're learning how to write grants and so on, and yeah. you know, I mean, some senior people devote an extraordinary amount of time to help mm. junior researchers, and that's fantastic. Mm. But but it may be that you need to think about your team because mm-hmm. you, normally you've got more than one yeah, co-applicant or whatever, haven't yeah. you? And in terms, I think it's a really interesting point. In terms of the co-applicants you put on on your fellowship application, for instance, you know, how much weight does having the head of your department as as a collaborator or the head of a, another department does, does that carry a lot of weight, or is it is the expectation that that person won't actually do so much on, on the project because they will be so so busy? I think it just depends whether it makes sense for the project. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've definitely seen ones where it's it's obviously almost like name dropping yes and you can't believe that they're really going to help with this project and i think it stands out sometimes right um not that that would sink a project certainly not in my eyes but it wouldn't add anything no um but i think where there's evidence of actual collaboration of any kind if you've written even a conference abstract or something like that that would that would seem a bit more genuine and you know so again start early build it up build that relationship early yeah yeah. okay especially like with the uh, on the grant panel they are always senior people so they will they will pick you up like if if you are doing a cv padding you know that you're bringing you know influential people on your Mm. uh, team while you know uh, so it's probably probably reflect poorly on you uh, then so you have to be very well aligned with, with you okay. there must be a uh, you know a coherent story yeah everyone should be you know um yeah i think those are really good points thank you um so i know all of you have been or are involved in, in reviewing grants and fellowship applications um so simon i come to you now i'd like to know your top tips um from the reviewer's perspective uh insofar as, as what you look for in applications? Yeah, um, well, there's lots of different components. Again, you know, my, my reviewing is like a checklist too. And so uh, I think I've said in the justification, I look to be excited by a really coherent and well-explained argument without too many mm. acronyms, <laughs> TLAs. Just one. <laughs> Just one good one. Just one. That's what yeah. I was arguing for. Yeah. Um, so I I don't like a lot of assumption about about the background history with, you know, seven citations and think that's job done. I want to have it properly explained to me. Um, I'm looking in the justification novelty, uh, importance, impact, um, or something that is a kind of game changer for the fundamental biology of a disease. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for, that's, I guess, that's what I mean by excitement. It has to be one of those things, Mm -hmm. okay? So, So that... You know, when you show your grant to someone else, you need to ask them, you know, is the, do you feel this is really novel? Do you feel this is going to have impact? Uh, do you feel this is a, this is going to change the field? And I, I think those are things that are going to be a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly look at, as David was saying, I certainly look at the strength of the team. And that, um, you know, where there isn't clear a track record of excellence in the PI, I look for a, a feasible, effective link with somebody that that is a leader, um, and and where I feel there's any expertise lacking, I need to be convinced there's a strong collaboration that solves that problem. Right. 
Um, now, I think one of the trickiest things in terms of reviewing is the level of detail needed in the methodology. I, I always find that one quite tough. And I note sitting on review boards and committees that people like completely different things. Yeah. Some people want all the detail, yeah. uh, in, you know, almost like a lab protocol. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that, I'm <laughs> don't, not that interested <laughs> in all of that detail because I kind of think, well, it's not going to be exactly done like that. I, I mean, I think one way of dealing with that is with boxes, annexes, and things like that. Yeah. And I, I think that's a nice thing to do. I like to see limitations discussed. Yeah. So I like to see the obvious criticisms identified, yeah. contingency plans, acceptance of a potential problem. I don't, I don't like it just to be completely ignored. Mm -hmm. um, I like a little, I like to be convinced that this is feasible. Um, that may mean pilot data, mm -hmm. uh, but showing too much data can either convince you that they've actually done it already, already done the work, yeah. or um, it can raise questions about the legitimacy of the work. So just be a little bit, you've got to think very carefully about how much you show. Okay. You don't want to show a show so much that it raises questions uh, about, as I say, whether it's done already or whether there are obvious weaknesses in the okay. way that the data is displayed. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's other boxes I like to see ticked are about the training aspects, um, whether for the PI or for a student. And, and I do look at the budget, okay. but rather the kind of bottom line and do I feel, given the totality of the work, that it, this is broadly justified? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I wouldn't say I go through those with a fine-tooth comb, but mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, that has to be right. It can't okay. be uh, okay, thank over you. the top. I think those are some really, really good points for us to, us to think about. And uh, Adil, do you have anything to add? To yeah, I mean, uh, for um, I, I think the most important, what I have realized is this, when I'm reading a, reading a grant application, is the first page of the grant. So the first page is when I'm reading it, if it doesn't hit all the, you know, it, it doesn't, so it has to be the most polished part because if by the, by reading, by, by, by the time that I have read the first page and not excited about it, I'm not going to be motivated to read the rest of like 30, 40 pages because uh, so the first page of your grant where you put your synopsis, it has to clearly tell what the novelty is, mm -hmm. the the significance, the innovation, the feasibility. It has to hit all these things okay. briefly, few sentences, and it has to be the most convincing. So so I think I cannot stress more than like, you know, the first few paragraphs just makes or breaks. To me, it seems like as simple as that. Okay. While you down the line, you probably have a lot of, uh, you know, stuff that you are, you know, uh, but if you didn't do well in the beginning, are probably in difficult situation okay. then. Okay, thank you. And David, how about, how about you? Um, it, I suppose tips that I have in mind that I would add to that is um, probably before you even start writing, try and find some, collate as many as you can, examples that have been funded um, as you can beg, borrow, or steal. Mm -hmm. So I found that really useful to see more senior people um to go to them and if you're lucky you can get you can get their advice as well but if not they'll often particularly within your own institution probably mm -hmm. they'll probably share with you confidentially your draft mm -hmm. i think that's really useful to just go through and um i mean if you go to someone successful hopefully they, they will tend to be well written mm -hmm. um 
and that's so I, I personally I use that a lot okay. um, I still do to a degree I would say if I go into a new funder and I'm not quite sure what again give try and give the funder what they want yeah um, and then take care of basics so um, before you submit go back through and think about what is actually required for the different sections because you I think it's surprising how often when I was I was uh, I was joking a while ago because I was reading all these applications where they were they were dancing around in this section on doing a power analysis. Right. So it was like, this will be the biggest study of its kind, right. you know. And you're like, you haven't done a power analysis, right. have you? Right. And it'd be like, um, yeah. And then or um, this is bigger than studies that have been done before. Okay. And, so on. and I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's adequately powered. Do you know what I mean? And it's like. So the section is present your power analysis here. So I think just, again, just taking stock, just think about the basics and make sure you tick the boxes. Mm -hmm. It's like Simon was saying about basics, like eligibility. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think it, it affects more applications than than you might, might imagine. Okay, thank you. That's really helpful as well. So we're rapidly running out of time. This has been super interesting, very informative. I want to ask one final question, which is something we touched on as we were chatting before we started recording. Um, and so, Adil, I'll come to you first. Thinking about feedback and thinking about resilience in research when you get rejected um, from a grant application that you've spent days, weeks, months slaving over how do you cope with that and how do you move on to the next application yeah that that's i think the the, the tough so, so you have to 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 convince yourself that you are going to get rejected a few times but it's like so so i mean it doesn't matter how many times you get rejected it's only uh once once you get you know it's about getting lots of zeros and then you get you know one pip and then that's all. You don't need many grants initially when you start, I think, uh, you know, uh, as an ECR. Uh, so it's, it's being about resilience and and, uh, and and once you have resilience, like the, the signal uh, rise above the noise, you know, mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's the only way is to uh, is to is to be you know they've been positive mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it, it's difficult because I have been through this quite a few times <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> it's difficult yes <laughs> it is it's difficult but but you have to have a uh, faith in you uh, because uh, because most of us who have gone that much far uh, there is there is uh, you know it's all about having the faith uh, in yourself and mm -hmm. then you know pick up yourself again and then write it right mm -hmm. and every time try to improve get the feedback as much as possible mm -hmm. and then uh, try to improve mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully yeah fingers crossed and David coming to you um, what would your advice be for somebody in, in that situation oh, it's difficult isn't it mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's horrible mm -hmm. to be rejected I feel upset and angry and you know you go through that, that whole raft of emotions mm -hmm. I, I'd say just um, let let those emotions die down before you even start to consider you know what to do next mm -hmm. um, just you know go leave it leave work if you need to <laughs> go talk to your family yeah. uh, and your friends and so on and and you know come back to it when it's died it's not quite so raw yeah and then try and be as business-like as you can if you're applying for schemes where 20 percent get funded and you're early in your career you'd be very lucky to be funded first sure. time um and i recommend 
getting as much feedback as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so it varies a lot between funders. I've certainly found when I've been rejected, sometimes I've been able to get more feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in turn has been very useful for deciding what to do next. Mm-hmm. So if it's something that damning that you can't fix, then move on, okay. do something else. Okay. You know, but but it, you know, it may be that you were just unlucky. Yeah. So be realistic that part of it is just random and yeah. and um, and go again. Yeah. And with that feedback, you can make your application better the next time. Absolutely. But sometimes you may the key will not be changing the application. Nice. It will just be having the the bloody mindedness okay. to go again okay. and to go again okay. until you get funded. Yeah. I mean, it may take many, many applications. Right. So just be prepared for that. Okay. So you need that suit of armour we were talking about earlier. Um, yeah. Simon, coming to you, this the same question. How do you cope with rejection? Yeah, I, I agree with what the others have said. It's a, You've got to look at the process as being extremely subjective. I mean, perhaps for someone starting out, what they will have probably had more experience of is submitting papers. And you've seen how different reviewers' comments can mm-hmm. be. Um, you might be surprised about just how dominant a very small number of people are in the decision about the success or failure of a paper of a of a grant application mm-hmm. and um i think my the the grant i've had that's gone through the most iterations actually with very little change just like you were saying david sixth time and it was successful on the sixth attempt with great reviews nice uh, that's actually active now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I might guess which one that is. Yeah. Uh, clearly, I'm obviously <laughs> bloody minded enough yeah. not to change it very significantly. <laughs> but um, you know, it would have been quite easy to drop it right on the fifth attempt. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Okay. Which I don't think even passed triage. You know, right. it was like that. Okay. That bad. Okay. Well, your your chances are getting better every time you get rejected. So you know that there is a success on the corner. That keeps you because with a law of large numbers, you are going to get there. Right. Since, you know, if you try enough times. Okay, well, that's that's very good to hear. <laughs> um, so we need to finish shortly. Does anyone want to say any have any closing comments that you know things that you think would be really important for early career researchers to know that we haven't covered yet? So I'm only looking at your notes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think something that people tend to overlook is their own CV. Mm-hmm. That often goes in with grants. I, I often find them quite badly written, mm-hmm. quite difficult to follow. You know, the kind of things I want to look at, um, badges of success, you know, a first-class honours degree, prizes. I want to see the papers that you've genuinely led, mm-hmm. first, second author, or you've got a good reason why you made a big contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sometimes, yeah, the way the CV's formatted, it's quite difficult, difficult to pull that out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm and gets lost. I think I wonder whether some of this is a bit of an afterthought um, mm. and the formatting of the, the web portal makes it difficult for yeah. people. It is a very, that, that you is a very important bit about that subjective decision. So put as much time in that as you would if you were applying for a, you know, a job interview. Yeah, okay. uh, so I don't think that came across from our earlier discussions. That no, is important. I, I would say... When you're structuring a grant, think about the different sections and try and write a single sentence that describes what you're going to cover mm-hmm. in each of those sentences so mm-hmm. that you're clear in your own mind how the overall argument flows together. Mm-hmm. 
And if you can't do that, it may be that you're not ready to actually start the writing okay. and you need to read a bit more or, okay. or think a bit more about the methods. So if you can flesh out, if you can start with a skeleton which is coherent mm -hmm. and then you add more and more detail around that, you sort of flesh it out, I think that narrative that underlies it will will be clearer because mm -hmm. sometimes you, you just get lost in the detail and you're not really... It's not like a good novel where you're you're turning the page, yes. you know, and one thing flows seamlessly into the other. Yeah. Okay, that's really helpful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would just reiterate what what others have said. Uh, I think the important uh, thing is to be have. Uh, I think the main main challenge is to have a one piece of coherent reading, mm -hmm. which is uh, you know, which has the balance. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, which reflects uh, your, um, you know, uh, uh, your skills and uh, shows uh, enthusiasm uh, that you, that, you know, it should show your enthusiasm what, what you want to go, uh, going to be do, doing for the next four, five, six years. Mm -hmm. So it has to stand out from mm -hmm. uh, from your application and that's i think uh the tricky bit yeah you have to sound uh you know, excited about what you are doing mm -hmm. i think i think that's great um and so just to summarize you know what we've talked about over the last 30 minutes or so um i think the big things that have come across so you need, you need to be excited about these grants that you're writing um, you need to be aware of what the funders want and we talked about that being the the, the visible and the, and the hidden desires of, of the funders uh, as well um, we need to focus on getting you know the start right because that's the bit that's read most frequently or, or the bit that's read perhaps and it's really important to, to get that right early on um, we talked about how important it is to address limitations and to have contingency plans in place for if, if one of your experiments doesn't work um, and I think the most important message for the early career researchers out there like myself is uh, to be sheer bloody minded and keep trying it and, and trying again so with that in mind it's time to end today's podcast recording and I'd like to thank our panellists Simon Mead David Llewellyn and Adil Razi and uh, we really hope that you enjoyed today's episode so thank you all so much um, good luck thanks. good luck with your applications <laughs> and please do remember to subscribe to this podcast through SoundCloud and iTunes tell your friends and colleagues and share via social media using the hashtag ECR Dementia thank you podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.